I think a lot of people feel similar to me in the sense that I feel very lucky at the moment. Um, you know, we've just moved back into our house after renovating for six months and during that time we were staying with various relatives and um, we're not anymore and we're home, so that feels really good. And, um, you know, I've... As you know, we, we lived through the bushfires down here as well, so we spent that time mostly at my mum's place um, out near the bush, which was pretty scary and pretty hairy. And um, But we have, a, we have a house over our heads and have uh, work that we can do from home. And um, the kids have been home for about 10 days now because we've had a bit of a snuffly cold in the family, so we just exercised caution and kept them home. And so far it's like, <laughs> you know, I say it's going well. Um, you can see the cracks forming, but um, <laughs> it's we're, we're lucky at the moment. I mean, I, I feel like I'm in a bit of a bubble at the moment because I can see the people around me, um, the people that I'm close to are in very different circumstances. What's um, your sense of how of how other people around you are dealing with it? I, I take it you're talking about neighbours and people in your community? Yeah, people in my community, but I have a lot of musicians in my community as well. So, um, yeah, um, you know, I think it was probably a week ago that we all saw this kind of domino effect start of... Uh, gigs, well, probably more than that now. It's funny, time just seems to stop. But um, festivals being cancelled, gigs being cancelled indefinitely. And um, I went through that initial first wave of feeling really, like, gutted, you know. Um, I mean, uh, for me, the bushfires was a pretty traumatic time, um, like every, it was for everyone down here. And I was looking forward to going to the National Folk Festival and blasting out some tunes with friends. And um, so that took a bit of a, adjusting, getting used to the idea of that not happening. Um, but then, you know, everything got cancelled. And while I was sitting here thinking, oh, I'm okay, it's all right. It'll come back next year. You know, we'll be okay. There are friends in my community who are seeing their livelihoods disappear, you know, albums they had ready to go that they can't launch, they can't sell easily, mm-hmm. uh, and then ending up kind of down to the line. And, um, you know, one of the, the kind of strange and, and beautiful things about this moment is you realise that you are part of a community and we're not going to leave anyone behind, you know. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. The benefit of, of those who aren't familiar for with where you live, so you live in the bottom right-hand corner of New South Wales. Um, if you're comfortable doing it, um, can you give folks an idea of how the bushfires first affected you? Because actually, you know, as I was thinking about speaking to you tonight, I was thinking, I was thinking, yeah, you've had a a really restful summer, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? 
I don't know. I'm a, I'm a lover of science and um, not um, I tend to try and keep my feet on the ground, but I, f- I feel like the earth's talking to us at the moment. <laughs> um, so in, in December, um, would have been maybe a week before Christmas, I was staying with my family up at my mum's property, which is up um, about 10 minutes out of Candelo, which is the town that I live in. And um, yeah, we, we, we're having a lovely time staying up there. It's about 300 acres, half of it's forested. And we know that country really well. And I popped out with the kids to go down to Marimbula, down on the coast to do some shopping, go to the beach, that kind of stuff. And while we were down there, we got a fire alert on our phones. So everyone down here knows the um, the rural fire service app, like <laughs> probably better than Facebook these days. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So I was down there and this this ping went off of my phone and said, um, there's a fire in your zone. So I'd set up a watch zone around my mum's farm for about, oh, I don't know, 10 k's in each direction. And um, there was a fire down the end of her road. Her road goes in like it's a one-way in really and um, it was blowing up towards her place. So, um, yeah, I dropped the kids off with um, my dad and tried to get back to her and, yeah, couldn't couldn't get through. All I could see was heavy smoke and she was up on the hill and, um, you know, I managed to call her and she said, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I can see it. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a long way off now. Um, but the rural fire service got out and put out that fire really fast. But it was that was the start. And I remember feeling that kind of set off a lot of anxiety. And I'm not a very um, particularly anxious person necessarily, Um you know, I've had my moments over the years, but um, that set off the the feeling of yeah, feeling like things weren't quite right, and um, and that was before the big bushfires which hit on New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it was a long hot summer down here, um, and it had been drought for a long time. Um, but in a funny way, I think we were all getting used to it, and I don't, I, I don't know if anyone expected it. What came? It's pretty hard to to be prepared for that. Yeah, what's your sense of how your actual sort of local community in Candelo, um are dealing with the situation at the minute? Then, um, if you're able to, if you're able to say, I mean, so we we live quite close into town, so. Um, you know, we kind of step out our front door and there's usually people that we know walking by. And because people still have to go to the shop, we're occasionally chatting to people on the street. And um, I I feel like it's changing day to day. I think yesterday everyone was still a bit philosophical about it. Um, people are really struggling now with the reality of uh, what it means to lose work. There's a lot of people losing jobs and... Um, what are the main um, employers there like? Well, there's oh, it's a bit of a mixed bag, really. There, there's one yeah. big, um, the Bega Cheese factories down this way, so that does employ a lot of people. But um, you know, the people that I know, there's a lot of lot of teachers, um, a lot of people who work in hospitality, retail, 
um, all the things that keep a tourism sector t- um, ticking over. It's quite a, a strong um, – a lot of tourists come down here from Canberra and Sydney, so um, so that's a lot of people losing work. Um, it's <laughs> it, it's a very strange moment. It's, it's really um, – the weirdest thing I've found is not being able to give people a cuddle <laughs> when you see them on the street and they're struggling. Isn't Very it? strange. Yeah. 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 I was I was speaking to a friend in, in Rome and she was saying the same thing. You know, that it's um she was saying that actually that it she found it funny. She's Scottish and she said she found it funny that the British guidelines were that you have to be two meters away from one another, but the Italian guidelines are that you have to be one meter away. And she said, <laughs> she felt like maybe the two meters was just too big of a <laughs> big of an too, too big of a leap to try and to try and introduce, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know exactly what you mean, and um, there, there's a there's a peculiar thing that I that I've I've kind of wondered about, which is that you know if you if you see a kind of Google image of the Earth. And then you kind of zoom in and 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 zoom in. I feel like that's a sort of image I have in my head because, you know, you have this kind of global thing happening, but it's um, it, it's also sort of mediated through notions of um, national identity. And then there's regional and then it's, you know, what's going on in your county or your town. And then it's what's going on in your family and then it's down to you as an individual and it's it's kind of like it goes from this kind of huge vast zoomed out view right down to this very granular very individual um uh behavior and stuff it's just a really peculiar peculiar thing to kind of try and get your head around um, <laughs> yeah it's a um, like you said a really massive shared experience um which maybe is unprecedented, I don't think. Um, you know, when the Spanish flu hit in the early 20th century, there just wasn't the connectivity we have now. Um, yeah. And, and it, wasn't, it didn't, wasn't quite as widespread. And, I, I mean, I've been fascinated looking at social media because you do have this shared experience and I feel like people are starting to run out of things to talk about because they're all having a similar experience. So, <laughs> you know, people start going, oh, you know, I posted about this yesterday. I don't know what to say now. But then when that happens, they start to think, think about who they really are and start to share parts of themselves that they might have held back on a bit, which, um, it, like, that's just my, I'm just noticing it a bit and it feels like a, an interesting moment. Yeah. What, what's the direct impact been for you as, as a musician? Um, I, I mean, the thing I miss the most is playing, um, Irish music. I live a long way from sessions, but, um, I had some things in the calendar that were going to be great weekends of just playing tunes. Um, and that's the music that means the most to me ultimately and that's the, the biggest connection. So that's tricky. Um, but I also have a band who are releasing an album shortly and <laughs> we've had to <laughs> – it's 
it's interesting trying to figure out whether it's a good idea to do it now or not. And it feels, yeah, it feels like a good idea in terms of we want to share the songs with people and they're quite quite positive and they're all about stories of, of life in in rural Australia and um, we think that they'll be a, they might contribute to people's kind of, <laughs> um, I don't know, it feels like a, a nice contribution when people are staying at home. Um, you know, whether we'll sell any albums or not is another matter. Um, maybe that's not as important. So. It's called Seasons and it's by The New Graces. So we are based in Candelow, three women singer-songwriters. Mm. How are your kids going? How are your kids getting on? It's it's hard to predict the impact on kids, I think. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess through through the bushfires we had a pretty clear idea of trying to keep them away from traumatic situations. So um, when we first had to evacuate, um, it took took us a day or so to decide to do it and we were tossing up between uh, – there's, there's basically one, one road up towards Canberra from where we live and we'd heard reports that it was just – like a car park with all the tourists leaving and with fires around, you didn't want to be stuck in a traffic jam. And um, so as this bad fire day approached, we were tossing up between joining that kind of caravan of cars or going to the evacuation centre with the kids. And um, that was a hard moment. Um, that was a choice between two potentially traumatic um choices so we ended up hitting the road and it was okay it was fine we didn't get stuck but um but those choices are interesting because they're they're fast and they're immediate and we did feel the effects of them for a while after because you you have this you know it's it's not often in life that you're you're faced with danger involving your whole family so um yeah we I mean I know I experienced a bit of post-trauma after that um whereas at the moment you know we're we're in this we're home it's the opposite we don't have to leave our house we don't have to evacuate we get to stay here <laughs> it feels like a, it feels like a very it's a cruel it's it's a cruel trick yeah <laughs> you know it is a cruel inversion of of having to evacuate really it is yeah um what is the word? So you evacuate or you evacuate? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, when you're talking about uh, the impact on on your kids, yeah, I like I, for me, my my son Pietro, who's seven, is he's quite an avid listener to news when he gets the chance, and I have this. I, I, I have this dilemma. I, basically, I don't want him to hear anything mm. about the U.S. president. I don't want to hear that name. <laughs> I don't want that name to be in his head. I don't want it to come up in dinner conversations. I don't want it to be any part of our consciousness as a family beyond what I know about it and what my wife know about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but it's impossible to listen to the news without hearing that fucker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And hearing his name and and I mean I realize that's not 
nothing like the the level of actual physical trauma that your kids have gone through but it there are lots of things that you end up sort of trying to considering as you're sort of um wondering how much to tell your kids about what's going on and how to explain it and you know mm. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and i think like you know my kids exposure to trump is via myself and pete and my dad probably just like um having a bit of a laugh because that's what you have to do um right yeah, they – yeah, it's interesting. Like my, I have memories as a kid of, of the news being on all the time, you know. I get up in the morning, news is on the radio. Yeah. Seven at night, sit down, parents watch the news. I was kind of mostly disinterested, you know. But um, I've been thinking about this a lot. I don't know whether things have worsened or whether reporting practices have changed, but I haven't been able to expose my kids to the news yet and they're six and eight. <laughs> right. It feels very strange. Um, Isn't that interesting? Because I had I've had exactly the same experience. Like my father listened to the news every morning, every evening at dinner time. Same thing. Last thing at night, you know. Um, and and we always heard it. And I. Uh, but I guess we were living in Northern Ireland as well. So, I mean, there's no way of avoiding being yeah. in Northern Ireland when you were in Northern Ireland. But I don't, I don't, yeah, so I, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just before we had this phone call, I'd, I've had been fighting, a, you know, a headache all day just from working online and um, and looking at computers. And um, I thought, oh, should I really be doing this? And I thought, well, no, it's actually it's the same for everyone at the moment. Um, there's no perfect moment to do anything at the moment. We have to just fit what matters to us in where we can. Maybe you just have to do. Yeah. You know, as, as best you can. Are, you, are you, what are you, what are you working on? Are you working on um, editing or no. writing? Um, or? So I've been doing work for um, a kind of artificial intelligence software design company um, for the last few months. I have some, I think my job title is um, a design research facilitator. Um, that's the job title I've kind of made up for myself. Um, it's very much in the startup world of um, uh, it's it's hard to describe, but my my job is really to interview people and to listen to them and and talk well about things and get their experiences in order to build software. So I don't build the software. I just do all the, the fun part of interviewing, just like you do, Dom, <laughs> without as much artistic output. <laughs> it's more, more talking about how they, you know, check their emails or um, – no, it's, it's, it's about more than that. Um, but, yeah. Um, and that's – yeah, that's – I mean, I'm lucky enough to be able to, especially for the company I work for, um, it's, it's easy to, to do it from a distance – at the moment one of the lucky ones do you have any sense of this i've heard a few people's well um in a sense uh, some of the um more tired ideological ideas about having a small government and and so on seem to disappear when a moment like this happens suddenly um people are reliant on the state and reliant on a benevolent state, for the most part. Um, 
do you do you have a, any sense of this as being like to me it seems like how could you ever go back to the way things were this seems like the perfect time to just completely reassess the political landscape the way that people actually talk in politics the way that politics is conducted the way that um and and to to get beyond that mm. i mean um is that naive of me do you know what i mean oh, you know what i'm getting I, at? I know what you're getting at um and it's funny i was um I'm I'm trying to finish off a, a master of science communication at the moment, and um, weirdly enough, this might sound a bit left field, but it does does tie back into what you were saying. Um, my what I'm studying at the moment is um, infectious diseases and, <laughs> and epidemics. But one thing I've been thinking about around that is kind of generational memory and how we tend to forget what um, happened before maybe two generations ago in our family. I don't really know exactly how it works. It's different for everybody, but we've got stories about our grandparents and what they lived through, and we've got stories from, from our parents. And I think a lot of our worldviews are formed on those stories. And um, in terms of diseases, um, I know that my grandmother worked in a, a tuberculosis hospital when she was a nurse, and um, so I had an awareness of that happening in Sydney. Um, but the last big et epidemic was the Spanish flu, and we don't have that generational memory. We don't have those stories directly from grandparents. And I feel like it's similar when it comes to, you know, the world that we're used to, whether we have, like, what our values are, what our political values are. Um, and now our generation is going to have a memory of relying on the state and needing support when we're all in desperate need. Um, so I think it has to change something. You can't really, you can't erase your, your actual experience from your memory. You can't, I mean, there's not, I know political spin is pretty powerful, but you, <laughs> you'd have to do a lot to, to negate that, to make it ineffective. Well, I, I'm wondering, so in, in your community, for instance, Given the, the very recent experience of um, the the way that the bush the bushfires were um, mishandled, are are people cynical about the government's capacity to deal competently with a situation like this? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the town of Cabago became very famous when Scott Morrison decided to turn up there just after the fires, and he completely bungled it. Um, that's just down the road from where I live. Um, I think I think it's a pretty raw and pretty clear. Um, I don't know. It people feel the difference between genuine concern and and just flying in and flying out. And um, interestingly, it's a it's a bit, well, it has historically been a bellwether electorate here, so. We've had a lot of political attention over the years. We've had prime ministers flying in and promising millions of dollars for cruise ship ports, <laughs> which <laughs> people are probably regretting that at the moment. Um, princess docked down here. Um, <laughs> uh, but, I mean, it's hard to know. I, mean, I think one, I mean, one of the good things about living in a small town is that you do end up spending time with people who have very difficult different political leanings to you 
and um, and living alongside each other and working towards something which is having a healthy community. Um, and that's a really powerful and real thing to happen on the ground and people put a lot of time and energy into it and they do notice when people from the outside are trying to impose um, rules and values that are simply ideological and don't connect with community. Um, and I think that's, like I could safely say, I haven't heard many good things said about the current Prime Minister down here. And and we do have families living down here who go back generations as kind of, you know, liberal voting families. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, think, I don't think Scott Morrison didn't do himself a good turn turning up in Cabago and he's he's not really covering himself in glory here at the moment. And But at the same time, it, it is... It is interesting to see um, what something like a stimulus package can do for people psychologically and um, whatever the long-term effects, I think the government throwing a heap of money to keep people afloat at this particular moment is being met with a bit of relief. So um, it almost seems like an apolitical situation in that way. Um for the short term, <laughs> until we see what happens later. <laughs> so, so as uh, just a, a couple more things, then as somebody who's um, studying science communication, I mean, uh, do you have a do you have a what's your sense of how the government has, at a federal level, uh, has communicated with people about this? If that's not too much. On the nail. I think okay. Um, it's interesting. I can draw so many bush, uh, analogies with the bushfire situation. Um, during the bushfires, people down here ignored what the prime minister was saying, and they paid attention to the um, the rural fire service and the um, the head of the rural fire service in New South Wales, who was broadcasting a lot. He was the one that everyone tuned into. Um, I think something similar is happening at the moment. We're all tuning into the um, the medical experts and trying to avoid having to listen to the prime minister. And it's simply because um, what is not needed at the moment is a lack of clarity. And he's been pretty. Um, un- unable to communicate clearly. Um, whereas people in the, whose professional lives are around communicating medical advice clearly, they're the ones <laughs> that people want to listen to. So I'm grateful for the fact that they they are given a good platform, especially on social media and through the ABC and the newspapers. They, um, they're getting a good voice and I think that means that people have actually had a lot of great information at their fingertips. It's just not coming from politicians and that's, Probably fine. <laughs> Maybe that's not. I, I don't know. I feel like they're not really capable. I mean, Jacinda Ardern is extremely capable, but um, Scott Morrison is not. And um, you can't. I don't know. <sighs> it was. It's interesting that it may be that the it may be that the idea of looking to a sort of paternal. <laughs> 
uh, national father figure is is just such an outdated concept that it doesn't actually have any useful place anymore you know what i mean yeah yeah um but that carries with it a sort of sense of the the country as being fragmented in a way that maybe it hasn't been before just because of fragmented media and that kind of stuff you know yeah possibly yeah. i mean I've, i struggle when i talk about politics because um i've yeah well I, i've <sighs> I feel a little bit like uh, when you have a situation like we do where we've been voting in um, people who have risen to their positions through a distinct lack of empathy over over years, um, we often find ourselves with leaders who are so practised in what they do that they can't experience empathy easily. So when something bad happens, they struggle. And um, I've gone from feeling angry about it to just being accepting of the situation in some ways. Because, like I said, they're not the people I'm going to listen to in a crisis. They're not capable of handling it the way that other people are. Um, and it's deeply unfortunate. And I would love to have great leadership in this country. But it's been a long time since we've had that. So um, I've stopped looking for it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot a lot of great people in the world. Um, most of them don't get into politics. So, But, the, but I, I guess the... I guess the effect of that though is that is that people start to disengage from politics if if at a moment like this you can't you can't take um not comfort but you you can't necessarily trust or get clarity from the people who have the most political power and trust them to act in a in a clear-headed way then um come election time that's when people start going well fuck it they're all the same and mm. you know and and that's kind of problematic too because they're not all the same. They might all be, they might all be different shades of shite, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're still different. Yeah, but they're still different, yeah. <laughs> well, during the during the fires, I felt like <laughs> it's interesting. You can feel like there's a big shift and something's about to change, and it changes in a completely different direction to what you thought. You know, um, I didn't see the virus coming, of course, but. Coming out of the fires, I did start to solidify my own political position a bit and it's something I've been thinking about for the last few years. And it's around deliberative democracy, um, which is community-driven, ground-up policy. And um, that's actually been part of my science communication studies is trying to figure out how to make decisions well as communities, how to, you know, gather the tools you need and have your voice heard. And it really happened during the fires that this sense of community was really strong. People felt like, yes, this is something we want to do. Uh-huh. We, want to, we want to work together towards something that's really good and um, we don't need um, people from the outside coming in and telling us how to do it necessarily got a lot of wisdom on the ground. So um, I guess for me, the I really see the value in communities, especially small communities like ours, trying to put time and effort into um, having a voice as a town and using kind of gathering really diverse voices within your community, acknowledging that everyone's different, people have different value sets, all of that kind of stuff, but we can still 
do things together and we can still live alongside each other um, instead of deciding that we need to wear, you know, the same colours that our parents wore. You know, I've always been a Liberal voter, so, I, you know, because my dad was a Liberal voter <laughs> mm-hmm. or a Labor or Greens or whatever. Um, for me, those that party politics is just making less and less sense, but the, the ground-up community groundswell poli- politics is making much more. So, yeah, you know, if I had um, 50 times more energy than I have, I might kind of, you know. That, that sounds quite optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> he said with a surprise tone. <laughs> um, yeah. Who knows? I mean, we'll come out the other side of this. and we'll I mean, all bets are off at this point, right? It's kind oh, of like... Yeah. Yeah. Um, Who knows? Like, I mean, you know, I have... Um, it's almost a relief to have to just shed all your expectations and go, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Kate Burke is a musician, singer-songwriter living in Candelo in New South Wales. You can find links to her work through my Facebook page, this project's Facebook page, I should say, the Social Distance Podcast on Facebook, just look that up and you'll find me. If you feel so inclined, you should definitely try and support the artists who are struggling through this time, as everyone else is. So we can only do so much, but what we can do is help each other. So, yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.